Yeah, so we're recently just joined the Microsoft for Startups program, and they have been fantastic. They recognize companies with potential for high growth and then invite you to participate in this kind of like white glove service to help you scale. And so they have been come true trusted partners for us to help expand and improve on the technical side. Microsoft, one of the biggest tech giants in the world. Right working directly with us to improve all of our algorithms, our cloud compute. And then they've got marketing expertise, branding expertise. And so I've been truly lucky to engage with them on multiple facets just to think about how can we work together so that our products can help get to patients as soon as possible. It's difficult to get through life and not be affected by cancer. Whether you hear the words, you have cancer, or someone you know, cancer is part of us all. When confronted, where do you turn? What are the treatment options? What happens next? C-Sessions with Randall Broad seeks to answer the questions with patients, physicians, providers, policy experts, and key individuals skilled in providing answers. In the process, C-Sessions improves communication on both sides of the stethoscope. Welcome to C-Sessions. I'm your host, Randall Broad. We have the pleasure today to have Dr. Elizabeth O'Day of the Olaris Corporation. Elizabeth is back in Waltham, Massachusetts, starting a startup. She's going to give us a little backstory, where she's been, how she got there, and what she's doing with Olaris. It's quite an interesting story, which I'm looking forward to hearing all the ins and outs. Elizabeth, welcome. Thank you, Randy. It's such a pleasure to be here and have the chance to chat with you. And I'm honored to get the opportunity to share Olaris's story. So I started Olaris about six years ago now, directly as a spin-out from my PhD at Harvard. But truthfully, Olaris probably got started a lot earlier than that. So let me give you the, the full backstory here. When I was in kindergarten, my older brother Rob, he was in first grade, got diagnosed with a rare form of adrenal cancer called neuroblastoma. And for two years, our family lived basically inside Boston's Children's Hospital, or Rob actually lived there. And then the rest of us just kind of shuttled back and forth. And it was scary, I will say, you know, I remember going in there quite well. I have like, I can remember the day he, my parents brought him in still and like what he was wearing and all of those sorts of things. It's funny how those memories like. And how old were you at the time? Kindergarten. So wow, five, six years old. I remember. Yeah. All, all of it. My brother went through treatment for two years and I should say off the bat, he, he's fine. He survived. In fact, he's now made way better life choices than I have. He, he's a carpenter and lives on Nantucket. He has a dog. He's made good choices. But that experience for me, I think really was foundational because even when you look back at my brother's like medical notes, they'll, they'll say like his little sister was unaccepting of the, her, her wow. brother's diagnosis. And I was, cause I didn't understand why they just couldn't fix them. And I would say like, please just fix my brother and X, Y, and Z. And they said, you know, the mantra that was given back to me was everybody's doing what they can, you know, just, just hope and pray yep. that the medicine worked. As well, good for you for being straightforward and honest as only a child can be. I'm just like having flashbacks now to like the kids room at the children's hospital. They have these like the Pac-Man game we used to play all the time. Anyway, I'm having, having a little flashbacks. That experience is what sort of set me off and made a little pact with God if, if Rob survived that I would try to like solve this. Ever since then, my ever waking moment and desire has been to try to cure cancer. As a kid, if you talk to me and people would say like, what do you want to be when you grow up? Other kids might say like soccer players or something. And I was like, I'm going to cure cancer. And like, fully believed it probably was a messed up kid, but you know, spent a lot of my childhood 
in the library researching like what are oncogenes and what were the latest, greatest things in cancer treatment. So that by the time I got to college where I went to Boston college and I was like assigned some freshman advisor, they were like, Oh, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I was like, I want to cure cancer. I could rattle off at least some idea of a hypothesis of how that might come together. And then I truly have spent probably the majority of my waking hours in a lab or in a library or in a book. Wow. It's amazing. Okay. I mean, it's really, truly amazing. This is exactly what people like me and your brother need. And it's wonderful that you not only had the desire, but you had the wherewithal to be able to absorb all this. This led you to starting Olaris. Yeah, so I finished my PhD at Harvard in 2013, and my thesis project there was developing a metabolomics-based platform that I married together with machine learning that could help figure out why certain patients benefit from a drug and why certain patients do not. I immediately could see the real-world application. Like, I thought of my brother. I thought of other people that I've met who go through cancer. And again, they don't know if the drug's going to work or not. And they have to deal with side effects and X, Y, and Z. And I thought, oh my God, this could help. This could help solve that problem. So I started the company about six months later, needed to get some courage to be able to sort of go for it and do it. But about six months post my PhD, just went online and filed incorporation papers and been figuring my way out ever since then. I was going to say, so you, you come from a scientific background, but suddenly you had to become a business person. Tell me a little bit about that. It was certainly not as straightforward as I'm perhaps making it seem. When I finished my PhD, I knew I had something that could have value, but I had no idea how to get it to patients. I had previously started an apparel company called Lizard Fashion. Uh, we made science fashionable, so I used fashion as a medium to promote science and donated all the proceeds to the American Association for Cancer Research. That had kind of slightly taken off. So I took some business classes at HBS during my PhD. And fortunately, and I think this is like a good lesson for people is like, I got to know some great people who I had no idea would be so instrumental in setting me off on a path. So, so one particular person who, who deserves a lot of credit is a guy named Bill Solomon. He's the former Dean there. We were casually introduced once I got to talk to him and I told him about like what I was doing on, as a scientist. And when I finished my PhD and I was kind of lost, he was like, okay, we'll start a company, like take your technology and use it to save lives. You tell me that's what it can do all the time. And I'm like, I don't know how to do that. You know, at the end of a PhD, you're not sure if you're smart or you're like the dumbest person on the planet. Just been through so much. Double-edged sword, I know. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> Even like, though I'm not a PhD, but <laughs> but you know, there you go. With Mr. Solomon, it's all in who you know. And he obviously set you off in the right direction. He encouraged me and helped introduce me to other people who had started biotech companies to I think help build that confidence. I think once you can see it, you figure out ways that perhaps I can do it or you at least gain confidence in that. You started this about three and a half years ago? Six years ago. Where are you today? Have you got 10 employees, 15 employees, 30 employees, 100 employees? Yeah. So for the first four, almost four years, I was the only employee. And now we have 14 and are hiring more. So we are growing. I joke, I started the company with little more than passion and pink shoes. And now we've raised seven and a half million dollars, grown the company to 14 plus employees Wow! and getting ready to launch some of our first clinical products. A lot of people, me especially, anybody that is looking at doing something similar, where did you get this first seven and a half million dollars? I've had some great supporters and angel investors with me from the very beginning who saw my passion, my scientific talent and thought, if she's able to make this work, this could be a thing. And so they've sort of supported me on the along the way again. 
give props. Bob Carpenter is one of them. He's like well-known biotech angel investor. And I wouldn't be here with, without his support as well as his investment in us. So we kind of pieced together like shoestring, very scrappy startup cash over the years, each time using it to build up critical mass to demonstrate our tech has value. In 2019, we did close our Series A, which was venture-backed, led by InnoSpark Ventures, who is a fantastic firm. They invest in AI-led companies that are trying to solve critical problems for society. And now we're going off and we're growing, right? We're off to the races. And I understand you work with Microsoft and their startup group. What value have they brought to you? Yeah, so we're recently just joined the Microsoft for Startups program, and they have been fantastic. They recognize companies with potential for high growth and then invite you to participate in this kind of like white glove service to help you scale. And so they have been come true trusted partners for us to help expand and improve on the technical side. Microsoft, one of the biggest tech giants in the world. Right working directly with us to improve all of our algorithms, our cloud compute. And then they've got marketing expertise, branding expertise. And so I've been truly lucky to engage with them on multiple facets just to think about how can we work together so that our products can help get to patients as soon as possible. Have they been instrumental or helpful at all in helping you get any kind of funding? Hopefully they will be. You know, I think it's developing. Let's like they're they've been super helpful to introduce me. I mean networking is key and at least my experience and especially in something like what you're endeavoring in. hundred percent. And having like I'm a first time female scientist, young-ish CEO, right? And so having the Microsoft vet or stamp of approval, I have to say, has been really, really helpful. It so. opens a few doors and gives you a little bit of credibility. That's for sure. Good. That's excellent. Well, I mean, that's, I don't know that much about Microsoft startups. So you've helped shed some insight on that for me. And hopefully this will be helpful for others that are listening, because having someone with the breadth and depth of a Microsoft that is behind you at this stage of the game, you can't yeah. put a level on that one. Yeah, it's amazing. What gets you out of bed in the morning? It sounds to me like you're pretty busy. What is that motivating factor? Is it how you're going to cure cancer? Cancer is unique as your own thumbprint. Sounds to me like what you are creating is something that is very individualized for each patient. We're talking about precision medicine, biomarkers, biomarkets of response, BOR. Yeah. yeah, I think you hit it, right? Like I feel really lucky that I get to do what I do. The technology that we're developing has the opportunity to, to change lives. We talked about each cancer has a fingerprint. It's funny. So we study metabolites, right? The small molecules that swim around in you and I that provide energy and biomass for life to exist. The rate that you break and make these molecules is what makes you, you. And the rate that I do it is what makes me, me, and also makes you susceptible to certain disease, me, others. And if we got the same disease and we're treated with the same drug, you could have a beautiful response and nothing could happen to me or, or, or worse. All of this information is related in your metabolites. And so your metabolites are actually a more unique identifier of you than your fingerprint. If you slid over some, some urine to me and I ran your urine through our metabolomics platform, I could tell that you were a male, roughly how old you are, any predispositions to disease, what you recently ate, where you've recently traveled. All of that information is in your metabolome. Wow. And so we're using that to be able to solve this drug treatment problem. So yeah, that gets me up in the morning. It's exciting and, and, and to see where we're going to be able to sort of take that. What exactly does excite you? Is it because you see the end here in sight? Yeah. So as we talked about, I started the company six years ago. It was a challenge at the beginning to get people to pay attention that 
what I had was important or could one influence outcomes that physicians would want it, that patients would trust it, payers would embrace it, or or that there was even like a business to be had here. I'm thrilled to see a shift in that where like, we're really entering, I would say the age of biomarkers where all of those stakeholders are now not only more open, but almost embracing of biomarkers and say like, yeah, like we need better biomarkers or better diagnostics to improve outcomes. So it's a lot more fun, right? Cause you get a lot more head nods and like, okay, cool. I get it. Yeah. This is versus like, no, not interested. <laughs> I was diagnosed 13 years ago. I have been actively involved in the cancer space since not from a scientific standpoint at all, more from a patient advocacy position, but I do read quite a bit. I am, I stay focused on what is new and coming down the pike. And I'm from a patient's perspective, the difference in the last 10 years is mind boggling. You don't need to be a PhD to realize that. Trust me. Tell me along these lines, what is the difference? You're not the only company in this space, correct? Yeah. So precision medicine, growing, burgeoning sort of space. What's your differentiator? We look at metabolites, as, as I said. So trying to figure out or differentiate people who benefit from a drug, responders versus people who don't benefit from a drug, non-responders, is a problem multiple companies, academics are trying to tackle. I would say... 90, if not 95% of the work though to date has been really focused on a genomics approach where you've probably heard you get your tumor sequence and you look for genetic mutations and good Lord, I am a fan of sequencing. Like that should be the first step, but that's all it is, is the first step. Right. As a scientist, I will rarely say things like always and never, but I can say that genomics will never give you the full answer. You no, really, for you. if you want to figure out why a patient is going to benefit from a drug or not, you need to go downstream of the genome and take in additional data sets. You need to take in the influence from your microbiome, from your environment, from other drugs you might be taking. And fortunately, all of that is both affected by and influenced by metabolites. And so that's what we measure. So we are one of maybe a handful of companies in this space that have said metabolomics while challenging and technically hard, have the potential to really make precision medicine a reality. Gotcha. Are you working with any major medical foundations or cancer centers? So Alaris has three core values that we're focused on and that in early Alaris days that we set that would differentiate Alaris from everybody else on the planet. First one is accountable to science that we do the most rigorous science and we're also sort of transparent in our results. And to me, that means both setting up the best studies, but working with the best experts and getting feedback and publishing and all of that kind of that comes with it. We've been really fortunate to work with, I would say the who's who in in oncology from initial pilot study that I did with MGH that we presented at ASCO in 2019. We just presented an amazing study at the AACR, Annual Association for Cancer Research Annual Meeting, a couple of weeks ago now for metastatic GIST patients um, that got like tremendous support. We work with Northwestern, Wash U, like across the United States. And now I'm even thinking about it globally. We've started to expand into different countries because sadly cancer knows no boundaries. So there's a real need to engage people. Are you working with NCI or the NIH, any of those organizations at this time? No, not really. We haven't. I mean, I I would say during my academic days, I was certainly very well engaged and, and writing a million grants for them, but not right now. Back to you on a personal level. What your story is truly incredible learning at the age of five, your brother seeing him sick and having to live in a hospital for two years. 
and then going from there. But what else has influenced you to be, quote unquote, the scientist and now slash business person? Who's on your list of people that inspired you? Well, I'm a big reader. I find books both as sources of inspiration and maybe as guideposts as well. And so some of my maybe favorite books that have been sources of inspiration for me would include, first and foremost, my top favorite book. I read it like every summer over and over again is The Alchemist um, by Pablo Coelho, which the theme there, I just find so inspiring that like when you're going after your dreams, the world conspires to help you. I read it years ago when it came out. It's a quick read, but especially with what you're doing, all the work you're doing to kind of champion cancer research and patient advocacy. It's a great book that just, I think, encourages you to go after your dreams, even though the path may lead you different ways than, than you originally thought. That journey can actually be quite rewarding. That book I have found quite inspiring. My favorite scientist of all time is is Ben Franklin. You're a woman after my own heart on that one. Let me tell you, I had to go fly a kite because of him. Hopefully not in a lightning storm. No, not in a lightning storm. (laughs) And I went to Philadelphia and saw wherever he stepped foot. And he was really something. Oh, I love it. You'll have to share your Ben Franklin road trip. I went to Independence Hall and obviously read the Declaration of Independence. And and then when you go down to the Smithsonian Institute, it's on steroids. Great mentor for you to, to start out with. Tell me, what should we know about you and Olaris? I know the, the C sessions are sort of dedicated to those involved in the cancer space. I think my first message, maybe not about me or Olaris, was just to like be hopeful. Like what a great time, not that getting cancer is a ever a good diagnosis. What a great time to see all this technology that's like transforming medicine. We're in an age where a lot is possible. I'm really bullish about the future and that you said cancer treatment 10 years ago is wildly different than it is right now. Cancer treatment two years from now will be wildly different than it is right now. Everything I'm hearing from everybody that I know in those spaces is saying the same thing. In fact, my doctor, Dr. Renato Martins, who is a renowned thoracic oncologist when I go out and speak or communicate, especially in the healthcare community. Well, I've had people say, well, that's why you're alive today. (laughs) That's how well they know him. He has shared with me, Randy, this disease is going to be a chronic disease in 10 years. Isn't that crazy? He goes, it might not happen in our lifetimes, but he says, I guarantee you in our kid's lifetime, lung cancer will be a chronic disease. He gets me chills just even thinking of because he's He's so amazing at what he does. He's a very straightforward, honest individual that never doesn't try to push anything over. He just speaks from truth. Now, you mentioned something in our first conversation about cancer enlightenment. Saper ade means dare to know in Latin. And it was sort of Kant's like call for the enlightenment and was encouraging people to sort of go beyond just like what they were told and dare to know, dare to learn, dare to kind of push for your own thinking. And Saper Ade has been a beacon for my life. I actually have the phrase tattooed on my, my wrist right here. I know <laughs> they can't see it, but you can see it here. And first, as a scientist, I used to think about Saper Ade every experiment I was setting up. The technology that I created at the beginning, everyone was like, I don't think this is possible or you're crazy. And I would look down and say, Saper Ade, you know, like, let's just give it a go. And then when I started Olaris, again, people told me I was crazy to leave an academic career 
and to try to start a company with no connections and no capital, but Saperade like guided me forward. So I use that as like a guidepost for my life and sort of making decisions, but it's all about also truth as well, right? Uncovering truth. And so you asked what you would want people to know about like me or Olaris, similar to the, your doctor that you described, we're not going to push BS. Like that's the last thing that we need in cancer. We're going to do the work and figure out what is possible and then like relay that back, pushing it forward. Really good. I love it. There's nothing like naysayers to really motivate you to get things going, isn't it? Funny yeah. how that works. And it seems it's really interesting that that's what it seems we run in the most. More nay than yay. I always like to prove the, the nay yay. How did you come up with the name Olaris and what is, what's the back on that? Ah, good question. Are you a comic book fan, Randy? Depends on the comic book. X-Men. No, that was after my time. I was more of a Batman, Superman, Marvel comics back in the day. I have two brothers and not that that helps explain it, but like we were comic book kids and they're very still into comics these days. And so we grew up collecting comic book cards and going to a comic book store and was very into the X-Men series. So in the X-Men series, X-Men are the good guys trying to like work with humanity and all peace and love and all of that. And the nemesis of the whole series is, is Magneto, who is mutants rule. Magneto is bad and he has the mutant ability to control magnetism. He has a daughter, well, several daughters, but he has one daughter named Polaris who has the same mutant ability, but she's good. And the cornerstone of Alaris's technology is nuclear magnetic resonance. And so it's a play on her name. Dork is strong here. Well, that's great. Dr. O'Day, this has been a supreme pleasure. And I'm really glad you got to look under the hood here with you. Wish you nothing but the best moving forward. And I'm looking forward to keeping in touch and hearing how you progress. Thank you very much. Again, this has been C-Sessions. I'm your host, Randall Broad, with Dr. Elizabeth O'Day from Alaris Company. We've had quite a good talk. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to C-Sessions. If you love this podcast, please give us a five-star rating. That helps us get seen. Share with your friends, family, coworkers, anybody who might be affected by cancer, which, as we know, is actually everybody. Thank you for rating and sharing this podcast. 